welcome to episode 23 of Command Space. Happy New Year to you all. Um, and today I am joined by Mr. Rene Ricci, who is uh, the editor-in-chief of iMore. Hi, Rene. How are you? Hi. Good, thank you. And Happy New Year to you as well. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. I'm really pleased you've come to join me today. It's uh, first time we've spoken on the show, so it's always good to have new, new guests on. I, there was no way I could miss it because Do Not Disturb will not re-engage for me, so oh. every alarm is going off eight times. Just very quickly before <laughs> we start the show, I mean, does that sort of thing? How, how did, like because this is a bit of Apple news? Um, Do Not Disturb is broken, basically. Yes, um, it seems like Apple cannot function the clock within the iPhone. Anything that relies on the clock breaks. I, well, Google was missing the month of December for a while, too. So obviously time is, is really, really hard. It's just very surprising, isn't it? It just seems that by this time you think that they would have dealt with it because we've had all the alarm stuff before, right? Y2K and now the Unix date apocalypse. It's just I, programmatically it seems that time is uh, something beyond their control. I mean, I, I try not to criticize too much because I don't understand anything programming related. But it is a bit like, oh, really? You're still still struggling with this? And I love that the the uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to your um, uh, your your article on this on on iMore, so people can read up on it. But um, you know, I just I try not to 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 criticize too much because I don't understand it. But it just seems like basics, right? The clock. Yeah. And the best part was that Apple released their brand new TV commercial focused solely on Do Not Disturb the same day that Do Not Disturb went on a New Year's bender. Oh, yeah, that was such a shame. Great ad, though. I, I liked it. I thought it was quite funny. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a shame that they, they, those two things coincide. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late, right? The, the, the ads with the networks, they've paid the money. Yeah. Might as well let it go. I mean, I know it's frustrating, but you know, I can't imagine... It's basically this isn't as annoying or damaging as the alarm not going off, you know. Yeah, and I'm sure Tim Cook really wanted to get woken up on New Year's Day to go down there with a flamethrower anyway. So it's yeah, it made it pulled everyone back into work, right? Oh man, I bet that was rough for the people in charge of that. Everyone, everyone on the Apple campus working with hangovers yesterday. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about you, sir. Actually, let's talk a lot about you. So sure. you, you're the editor-in-chief of iMore. So, I mean, I'm sure everybody now knows iMore. I mean, I think that you, the website was called, what would I download blog? Was, no. no, we no. started off with uh, Phone Different. Um, and that uh, maybe if I backtrack a little bit, we were originally Visor Central back in the day of the Handspring Visors. And then it became Trio Central when Palm bought Handspring and they released the Trio <laughs> line. And then we added uh, WM Experts for Windows Mobile and that's become Windows Phone Central. Oh, and we, added, we acquired CrackBerry for the BlackBerry phones. And then we launched Phone Different um, to be an iPhone site. And then it merged with the iPhone blog and it was the iPhone blog for a while still iphone blog that was it yeah. i apologize yes I, and then I, we went to tippy just because people complained that we said iphone in the title but dared to talk about ipads and then we went to iMore because no one including my own mother could spell tippy this was a uh a, a discussion i was having with matthew panzerino a couple of weeks ago and he was saying about um i think he had iphone something the iphone guru that's it and he said and we were talking about the pitfalls of putting a product name in your website name is that at some point you're going to have an issue, right? Yeah, well, you set expectations, and 
people aren't always good about going. I mean, right now it sounds silly if I said, oh, it's an iPhone site talking about iPads and people are complaining. It sounds ridiculous. But at the time, there was a, a huge uproar. And then when we changed from Tippy to iMore, there was another huge uproar. And a year later, I don't think very many people remember the old name. And there'd probably be a bigger uproar if we, we went the other way. Uh, it, people are just change adverse. And you have to factor that in and then make the best decisions you can make. Yeah, so you guys are a part of uh, Mobile Nations, aren't you? Yes. The, 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 the parent company that, that has all of the sites that you mentioned. Yeah, I, and Android Central, which is yeah, another one. Yeah, I frequent Android Central for my, um, my Android news. I won't tell them that they're arrogant enough to begin with. Yeah, don't 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 tell them. I don't want them to know. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're they're like the only site that I can read Android related. I mean, I I am I'm very um, for somebody who who follows news. I don't read a lot of sites just because I can't stand the constant re- rep- repetition. Yes, you know, I used to have like an Apple folder, and it would just be on repeat, on repeat, on repeat. And then, you know, I audition sites in some state, and like um, when I brought your site in, I think I took two R out of my list. Oh, pretty, well, Phil, who runs Android Central, is an old news guy. He used to run newspapers in Florida, so he runs it with a very traditional journalist sensibility. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I was looking for Android sites. Um, to to follow, I had like free like Droid Police or something was another one, and then um, Android Central was the one that that stuck around. So you've kind of said that kind of a little bit about the history of I'm More. So you know it's it's come gone from place to place to place, and I'm going to talk with you a little bit more about this later. But I'll mention it now. I mean, you guys kind of I'm More, I think, kind of found fame with some of the scoops and um, the the tips and stuff that you've had recently would that would that be fair to say like you've you've kind of, it seems to me that the site has grown a little bit more into the conscious because of some of the scoops that you've had that others haven't yeah i think that's absolutely fair i mean we've been around for a while but we we've probably got on more people's radars because of the the apple scoops we've been doing over the last year year and a half two years mm-hmm. and i think that was where i i, I came into contact with you guys f- first off you know uh, like to 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 be as a site that I frequent, you know, as opposed to just being aware of the name or whatever. Yeah, we 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 we've always had large forums and large communities. We've done a lot of help in how to content, but um, over the last year, we've we did more, absolutely did more of the news and rumors thing. Yeah, and I want to talk to, with you a bit about about that in a bit, but I just figured it was worth mentioning a sort of like the history piece um every week you know as i I mentioned on the show we have um questions that come in from our listeners um and at info overloaded who is a frequent contributor of questions asked how you got into this like apple space like what what attracted you to this uh actually it's an amusing story um i was i was always a big forum user whatever Whatever I was interested in the time, I would frequent forums for that. And at the time, I had a Trio 600 and then a Trio 680. So I was using Trio Central's forums a lot. Uh, and then I, I got an iPhone, so I went over to Phone Different. And at the time, the person running that site was leaving. He was going to work in, uh, I think, a university's network or something like that. And I started complaining that there wasn't enough news there. Uh, and the guy who was running our network at the time, Dieter Bone, who's now at The Verge, uh, eventually got fed up with me and said, well, why don't you write it? So I said, 
said, fine, I will. So I started <laughs> writing news and they started posting it and I just kept complaining. I basically complained my way into a job uh, because he did, He was running Windows Phone Central and helping build Android Central and helping with CrackBrain. and he didn't have time to do it and they were looking for somebody and it really was the right complaint at the right time. Um, and I'd been writing other stuff for years so I, I was used to writing because uh, blogging is really difficult. It, it looks like it's kind of like a fantasy job everybody wants, but it's one thing to just write a story. But being able to write something, to write it quickly, to write it well, and to do it constantly, hour after hour, post after post, day after day, month after month, um, that's a fairly unique skill set. And it's hard to find people who are just are willing to do that. So they said, okay, fine, do it. I was happy to do it. Yeah, I mean, I tried, um, as as with most people, I, you know, podcasting was not my first online venture. It wasn't the first thing that I tried, and I tried writing for a while. But I find it so difficult. Like, I've I've always struggled with, with being able to, to keep that going. I mean, I find uh, podcasting a lot easier because, you know, I, I dedicate an amount of time to it, and it's got a sort of a set schedule like that. You yeah. Know? So I don't need to launch up the mixer every time a news story breaks. I can just wait. Um and I don't have to you know, I don't have an, an un, like an unreserved amount of time. I can just talk for as long as I want and stop it. You know, this show tends to be around an hour. So that's in my head, I know it's gonna be about an hour. But you don't know how long a piece is gonna take you when you start writing it. You know, you're collecting more things in and that that sort of so relentless work like that didn't really fit for me and also I'm it takes me a long time to to get words down so podcasting works for me yeah. I mean you are a podcaster as well yeah actually it, it's a very different thing for me uh, both social networks like Twitter uh, and podcasting is a way for me to have discussion and formulate ideas and they kind of just stick in my head and then I'm I'm almost compelled to write them to kind of put a cap on it to put an end to it and get my thoughts down uh, it's almost like decluttering you take them out of your head and put them on a shelf and you don't have to carry them around anymore and that's sort of the final phase for me when I've digested and figured out my take on something I put it in a blog post and, and I can move on so um what what did you do like prior to to all this blogging? It sounds like you've been doing it for a while. Uh I started off in art and graphic design and I did that through high school and then I got into I did print media first and then I got into desktop video when the video toaster and the Amiga was popular. Uh and then I got into websites and I, I originally wrote websites uh, using Notepad on a PC and Fractal Design Painter on a Mac for the graphics. Wow! <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. It was thinking about it now. This the limitations of what you could do was crazy, uh, and I was always ahead of the curve. So I was in. I was in school for art, but they didn't teach anything. They didn't even teach desktop publishing yet, much less desktop video, much less web design. So I just ended up working in the industry, uh, and. Then I got hired by a company to do the website, and I just kept doing more marketing for them. And eventually, I was doing product marketing, uh, and I kept writing on my own time. I wrote articles for martial art magazines when I was in high school, and then I started writing uh, nonfiction and fiction books. And then I just started writing about technology because it was what interested me at the time. Um, at BD Fulton asks, do you ever feel, I, I get this question asked of me a lot actually, do you ever feel like you're at a disadvantage by not being based in the US? Yes and no. I mean, I think 
I think it's a disadvantage in terms of uh, someone who lives in San Francisco, for example, can instantly get to almost any major event that's happening there. And there's all these developer communities. A lot of the people who are making things are in San Francisco or New York. So there's a greater access. But at the same time, I think, uh, and I'm sure you see this too, not being based in the U.S., is that there's there's a a local bias that comes with it. It's that every story, uh, the U.S. becomes the world for that story, and that's seldom, if ever, true. There's usually a much greater international, beyond-the-borders context to it, and I think you miss that out a lot of the times. You don't realize that that fancy new thing is only available in the U.S. Mm -hmm. or that uh, different content is in different places or the laws are different in other areas. And being outside the U.S., you're forced to consider the U.S., but you know from your own experience that that's not the end of the story. Because there's the rest of the world to to report to right absolutely uh i mean netflix might be great but you know maybe it's like amazon's been promising us amazon mp3 since 2008 we still don't have it uh kindle fire might be a great tablet but for me it's a paperweight there's almost nothing you can do with it uh, and if you're reporting on how amazon is competitive with apple not understanding how much money and how much product apple has in the rest of the world i think is a detriment to that kind of story i mean at least being based you know in canada you're on similar time time zones the time difference isn't crazy you know you've not got like like poor federico who works until like four o'clock in the morning well that's a double-edged sword too because you have federico from mac stories and we have a uk editor uh chris uh, oldroyd and we have a, a couple android central editors live in the uk too and they get early morning stories he'll get stuff up five hours before i'm even awake um and federico if, if there's a, i have to wake up in the middle of the night sometimes for deadlines and he's on his third espresso already <laughs> so uh, it's, it's, it's when there's things late at night, then the people, like we have another editor, uh, Leanna Lofty in, in California and, you know, Matt Panzerino's in California. So they get the benefit of the longer day cycle. It's funny how like your, your life is dictated by these things. You know, if they say, if you've got a deadline, you need to be up, whether that's staying up late or, or waking up really early. Yeah, well, it depends. Like, if for some people, they really want to publish the instant something goes up because they know that readers are going to be looking for it and they know that people are going to want to buy it. And if they're supported in part by affiliate revenue or by page views, then it's important to them to launch as quickly as possible. Uh, other people have the luxury of doing more editorial work or doing more product review work that that has a longer lifespan and can take more time for it. So it just it really depends what sort of category you're in. Indeed. And again, we're going to talk about that a little bit more um, shortly too. I mentioned that you're you're involved in podcasting. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe of your own shows, you have Iterate, Debug, iMore and Ad Hoc, right? They're, yes. they're, they're the shows that you host, but you're also um, a... And Zen and Tech, sorry. Zen and Tech, that's it. Yeah, yeah as well. And you're also a um, a regular contributor on MacBreak Weekly. You're one of the panel there now. Yes. Um, so... What do you what do you enjoy about podcasting that you don't get from writing? It's almost every show becomes a discussion. There's, I've done a couple shows where it's been just me, almost the Adam Curry style podcast, but I don't find that as as easy or as enjoyable. I like the idea of a conversation. I very much like doing what you're doing now, and it, it, being a host of a show and being a guest on a show are incredibly different things and require very different outlooks and skill sets, and I just happen to enjoy both of them. So I like the discussions. I like I have the sense that I know what I know. I'm, I'm very interested to find out what I don't know, what I haven't considered, the other perspectives, and argument not in the modern uh, 
debased sort of sense, but in the classical sense of having a good argument and being forced to reconsider your views and get other opinions. I find that hugely beneficial. And podcasting for me is the, the best medium for that because of the immediacy and you can hear the voice and the tone and you can have a direct interaction with somebody. It's interesting you say about the difference between being a guest and being a host. And I totally understand. It's like if I'm ever a guest on somebody's show, I feel like quite mischievous in a way because I know it's not mine. So I kind of act up a little bit. I feel like a different person because I know it's not my conversation to steer. So I can kind of do as I please. You know, I don't go crazy, but I, I it feels very different to me to be a guest because as well, the intention is focused on you, which is quite nice. Yeah, I mean, it's also like on MacBreak, I can just show up and talk about Apple and I don't have to worry about editing it. I don't have to worry about yeah. getting it posted by a certain... It's remarkably pressure-free compared to my own shows, which I'll often be up till the wee hours of the night getting ready to post. Was that like, I mean, you? Ex- I'm sure he's very excited to join the, the MacBreak crew. I mean, that's a show, that's a long-running show. Yeah. It, it must be must be really cool to sit down and talk with those guys every week. Yeah, I mean, I used to listen to that show. I used to commute when I had my day job. I would commute for 45 minutes to an hour and a half each way every day. And I would just listen to Mac Break Weekly and other shows. And it's kind of it's almost surreal to be able to talk back to those people at this point. Yeah, that is, it's always an, an interesting thing. Like when you, you're a guest on a show, you're speaking to somebody you've been listening to for a while because it's kind of like you feel like you know them. It's strange, isn't it? It's, yes. It's, a, it's well, a strange thing. Well, your voice too. I mean, I've listened to your voice as a podcast before many many times but then actually be able to talk back to you is a very different feeling yeah it's strange i mean i've i've spoken to people in the past um that i've as you said i've listened to their shows and sometimes i forget that i'm recording (laughs) (laughs) and it's like i've just i've had it i I can't remember who it was um most most recently but i was talking to somebody and they finished talking and i just didn't say anything because it was it felt like i was listening to their show it's it's a very peculiar um a peculiar thing but it's 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 fun so I want to take a uh, a very quick break um, to, to to thank our sponsor for this episode, but and and then once we come back um, on on the other side, there's a few things I want to talk to you about, like um, the way that the technology press is moving. You know, some of the stuff that I've spoken to with with Matthew Panzerino a couple of weeks ago. So I want to get your opinion on some of those topics too, because uh, I, I find it very interesting to 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 ask um, tech journalists these sorts of questions. So we'll talk about those in a moment. But first, I just want to take a brief moment to thank Squarespace, um, our very, very uh, long-running and very loyal supporter of 70 Decibels and Command Space. So Squarespace gives you absolutely everything you need to make an amazing website. Uh, Squarespace provides you with a fully hosted, completely managed environment for creating and maintaining your home online. Whether you want to create a blog, a business site, a portfolio if you're an artist, basically whatever you need a website for, Squarespace provides you with all of the tools that you need from A to B to Z, in fact, not even just B. It doesn't matter how experienced you are when it comes to putting websites together. You can put something amazing online in minutes. You don't have to worry about hosting, scaling, integration with social services like Twitter and Facebook. You don't have to worry about getting designers or anything because they take care of the whole solution. They have beautiful templates. They're really, really, really good looking. They have responsive web design built in. So it doesn't matter what device your readers are coming from, they're going to see a fantastic designed template. Everything on the platform is drag and drop. So when you're building pages in Squarespace's layout engine, you add 
blocks of content such as photos, videos, social media content like Instagram galleries. You can have all your tweets displayed. You just drag and drop them into um, into the web page. It's all built within the web browser, which is is quite quite impressive because it feels like you're using a native system which is built into the os you can put these pages together in seconds as i say you just drag and drop them around and create the layout that you think looks best if you love stats you'll think that their real-time analytics are incredible because they really are you can even view all of this stuff on ios and android apps and you can also post to your site as well from those they have a great blog importer as well, so if you've got a site elsewhere, you can easily move it over to Squarespace with no problem. I want you to go and try this out for yourself. Also, it helps support the, the show and the network. You know, if you've been listening for a while and you've heard me talk about Squarespace and you want to support us, the easiest way to do that is go to squarespace.com forward slash 70 decibels and just play around with their free trial. And if you enjoy it, sign up for an account. If you don't, you can just let it expire, but at least that they'll know that you, you, know, you heard about them through us and you can give them a try. If you do decide you want to purchase, Squarespace starts at $10 a month for the standard plan and $20 a month for the unlimited plan. If you sign up for a year, you'll automatically get 20% off this price, and if you sign up for two years, you'll get 25% off. But I can give you an additional 10% off as a listener to the show. If you click enter an offer code below the pricing information, just use the code 70decibels1 and you'll get 10% off whatever your first order is at Squarespace. So go check Squarespace out now. They give you everything you need to make an amazing website. So thank you to them. So, Mr. Ricci, thank you for waiting. <laughs> thank you for having me. So um, I want to talk with you a little bit about the current state of the technology press. Sure. So as I say, I've, I have some questions that I like to ask um, people in certain industries and, and someone of your, your standing. I'd like to get sort of your idea, you know, how, how important is it to you or how important do you think it is to to have exclusives? Now, we see this quite a lot, you know, exclusive XYZ, hands-on first, you know. Is that important to you and do you see an, an intrinsical importance with that? Uh, I mean, I under it's... It's, it's hard to phrase, but it's one of those things that I understand more than I agree with. Um, I understand that putting first or putting hands-on or putting exclusive creates a certain um, – what's the right word? A certain expectation in readers. Uh, there are sites which put up first or exclusive even if they're the last person on the planet <laughs> to write the story because it, it excites their readers. It makes their readers feel like they have special access or are getting special content, um, and that creates value for them. It's not something I generally do uh, because that's not the part that interests me about writing, and maybe that's my own detriment, and maybe it's not smart that I don't typically do that. Uh, I, just, I just find that it takes away or it, you lose something when you, when you start to make it more about the perception of the content than the content itself. It's interesting. So, I mean, like, you can kind of see, I mean, you can expect that this, the, the idea of the exclusive is to try and get first in search results or to, just to try and prove to people that you are the most important person in this, in this environment. Is, is that right to say? Well, I mean, we both work in marketing, so I can put this in douchey marketing language. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a form of marketing. It just it creates a perception of value in your product. It's the same reason newspapers used to put exclusive on it, because if you see those two on the shelves, you behavioral modeling dictates that you will go towards the thing that feels like it is worth more special or has something exclusive to it. It's the way that the human 
the way that humans' personalities work. So you understanding that you cater to it. Um, and some people say, oh, you can burn that bridge. But people have chose have proven time and time again that no matter how often they say they watch PBS, they're actually you know watching TMZ instead. Mm-hmm. So it's almost a bottomless mine of marketing that you can plumb if you want to. Uh, but again, I just feel like we had a bunch of I think exclusive stories last year, and I don't believe we used the exclusive term in front of any of them because I think that the content of the story spoke that for itself. It's the old rule of writing where it's better to show than to tell. If I have to tell you that it's first or exclusive, I feel like I'm not doing my job in showing it to you. Because, you know, if if it is exclusive, people will know that, won't they? You will be the, the person that everybody links to. Yeah, or you, you just will not have seen it before. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, again, I go to sites and it says exclusive, and I, I know for a fact I read it yesterday somewhere else. And that kind of diminishes my impression because if I can't trust the veracity or sincerity of the headline, how can I trust? For, for me, reader, reader confidence is a currency that is incredibly hard to earn and incredibly easy to spend unwisely. And I never want my readers to get the feeling that I'm taking advantage of them or that I'm trying to you know, pull one over on them. Um, I would rather them value what we're giving them than try to create a false sense of value that they might see through. That's a really interesting um, term that you've used, actually. Uh, reader currency, uh, confidence is a currency. I, I quite like that. I mean, how far does that is that baked into to to your the way that you operate? Well, I mean, there's always like you had to read an ad in the middle of this podcast, and we have to we put ads on our blogs, and all those things. You know, they're not always in the best interest of our readers, but we we have a certain understanding with our readers that we have to have enough money to create content to give them a product, um, and they're paying with their intention with their attention instead of paying with money. So it's almost like a deal. So you're spending a little bit of your readers' goodwill by putting that ad there, but everyone sort of agrees that that's a fair deal. Uh, and I think there's a lot of little things that you can do, and some of them will cost you more than others. And you've just got to always make a decision, is this worth what it will cost me in terms of my readership to do it? And I think a lot of people make bad choices, and they're not always bad choices because some sites that I think make terrible choices have huge readerships. Mm-hmm. And again, I go back to the TMZ National Enquirer model and that there's, there's certain people who will always clickbait is clickbait because people will click on it and i think that that that's always a workable model uh, it's just not a model that i particularly am interested in i'm sure that that, that like us at 70 decibels you um you know as i say we have to have ads you have to have ads it's what keeps us going it's what it's what on that our industry runs on yes but we make choices you know i've had um, companies approach me for advertising that i've turned down and i'm yep. sure that you know you, you yourselves have lines that you just won't cross yeah and, and that's <laughs> i hit the no button so often i get in trouble sometimes <laughs> but again that that's i have to stand in between my readership and do what i think is right for my site. Uh, and I don't begrudge ads. I don't begrudge sites having ads. You know, if I, I have ads on my site, uh, I find it odd sometimes that people will spend an entire segment complaining about ads and then pause for an ad that's ba- like there's intercept ads on blogs and we don't, I don't typically use them because I don't like the experience, but there'll be people complaining about it who then do the equivalent of an intercept ad in their podcast or in their television show. So I think that, you know, you, that's an understandable concept and it's a deal that you've made. You kind of have to own up to that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, because as well you're saying about um, the the current, you know, the the confidence currency thing, which is is, uh, quite an interesting, I I really do like that term now, actually. But there's there's things that, you know, I've I've decided not to spend that in in ways which I don't think will be good for us. Like, you know, we've had companies approach us with offering good money, you know, money that we need. But I know that if I took that advertisement, that 
it, I would lose confidence from from our listeners. You know, companies that are not viewed very very highly in the community, and you know, if you give that away, you know, if if you start doing things that way and and working with companies that you think people won't agree with then you're kind of you, you're losing the listeners right you, you know you're going to lose people people will turn away and, and i think that's not that's not good for you it's not good for the listener or the reader so sometimes it's best to just walk away from those sorts of arrangements yeah i mean no matter how profitable it is to to come up with a new iphone rumor every week people will be the value of what you write ends up going down because people no longer have confidence in it uh, and i would much rather um I would much rather play this for the long game and and invest in creating a good dynamic between us and our readership, so that when we say something, they trust that we've looked at it, thought about it, uh, and not just you know done a superficial look at it, but thought, okay, what what does this mean? What does it imply? What are the repercussions? What does this mean going forward? And then put up something of value rather than just give them. It's like feeding someone junk food every day. They won't die, but they're not going to be happy about it. Indeed. On iMore, you have comments. Um, yes, you have comments on your post, and this is an interesting thing. I mean, a lot of people have, have bemoaned comments and said that they shouldn't exist. And I just kind of wonder from you, why do you have them, and, and do you think that you keep them? Going We've forward? always had. I mean, we grew up mostly as a community-focused set of sites. Uh, our original sites, Trio Central, um, was very much how Mac Rumors used to be, where the comments were actually the forums, and you would click to leave a comment it would take you to the forums and it would be a forum thread based on the article and it would all be one big community and just because of different technologies and different ways that we've been moving the sites forward um, those have broken up now so we have separate blog comments and separate forums but comments to me are are sort of like democracy in that it's it's an idea that has a lot of merit but has consequences that come along with it because you're giving voice to a large anonymous mass of people who will often abuse that voice uh, and you have to take the time then to moderate it uh, because it's not freedom of speech if it's on somebody else's dime. It's the same way I can't force NBC to air my basement sitcom or the New York Times to print my diatribe. No one can force me to host their comment, but because I'm providing that platform, I then have to police it. So it, it, it's definitely a mixed bag. I can easily understand why a lot of sites don't do it or don't do it anymore. This actually leads into something interesting. I mean, it's, it's kind of a... a, a a listener question, but I'm going to adapt it slightly. So Chris Humphreys is is asking, you know, where do you think um, tech news will be in five and ten years? You know, how do you think that we'll consume it? He mentions how RSS is being declared as dead and geeks leaving Twitter and, and things like that. You know, what do you think the the future of tech news will be? And and I would say not only just that, but things like comments. Do you think that they will still exist, or will the conversations move elsewhere? Well, I mean, it depends how much ownership you want to take over your experience. And I, you look at something like Daring Fireball and there's no comments. And that means that Twitter ends up in a very real way becoming um, John Gruber's comment engine. And I think Max Stories is finding that too. Without comments on the post, Twitter ends up becoming a comment engine. So there's always going to be a channel for feedback. But then you look at uh, a Simcoke and Horace Dadia site, and he has created an environment where there is incredibly high quality in his comment section. Uh, Sometimes it's so good he's brought those people on to contribute posts to his site. So, I mean, we all have to take a certain amount of responsibility for the content that's there. And I think that it's going to continue to evolve. I think as we become more mobile, more uh, independent, we'll have a lot more – 
there are always these large sites that try to do a lot of things, and there's always niche sites that drill down more completely on a single thing. And I think those trends will continue. Uh, we'll just see a large, we'll see bigger sites getting bigger, and we'll see niche sites becoming more specific. Uh, and I think in the end, we'll just have a lot more choice of where to go and what voices we want to listen to. How do you consume your news? Do you still use RSS? I do. Um, I have RSS. I don't use it anywhere nearly as often as I used to simply because I've usually seen a tweet about it before I've seen it in RSS. And that's just because of convenience. I'm using Twitter anyway, and most people push their RSS into Twitter. So uh, if I'm using it and it's there, I no longer have to go to an RSS client to see it anymore. It, it just becomes one thing. And I, I like the idea of unified messaging. I still don't like the fact that all these different pipes are coming out through different interfaces and I have to have three or four apps open. I like the idea of all my communications sort of being put into a place where it can just figure out what they are and I can easily see them. So for me, Twitter accomplishes that for a couple things, but not everything yet. So do you follow, you follow the sort of company, like the sort of the blog Twitter accounts, like, I don't know, the Daring Fireball account or something? Yeah, I, I, I do both. Though. So I, there are some sites that I follow um, just because they, they tend to have like a good steady flow of news that, that I'm interested in. But I also prefer in many cases to follow the writers uh, of a site because they'll I, – I don't know if they, they – they don't always have the same things, but it's easier to get um, – What's the proper word for this? It's more specific. So, for example, if I follow Panzerino, it's different than following the Next Web, or if I follow Dieterbone, it's different than following the Verge Twitter account. And I get, I get more of an authorial voice, or I get a more of a curated sense of their news that way. I mean, as well, sometimes I find with those sorts of things, like following the, the people behind um, the companies, they might not even mention a URL, but they're talking about, they're giving, they're talking around in context of the story. So you can kind of even if they're not like breaking here is this information they're talking about it and then at that point you see other people engage in a discussion and it's not very it's not then very difficult to find out what they're talking in reference to oh absolutely and also i think on people's personal accounts they're more careful about curation or for example i don't republish every story that goes up on imor on my personal account but some things that i find particularly interesting i'll include links for and i think it's the same thing with a lot of people they're more careful which stories they put in there and i appreciate that layer of curation yeah i mean we have um, the 70 decibels account and i don't retweet everything from there i think i tend to to post a link to every episode of Command Space because it's kind of my own show. Yeah, um, you know, like all of our hosts, they tend to tweet about their shows when they when they go live. But I don't retweet every show that we post unless I think that it's one that I think my listeners should really listen to. Like, yeah, absolutely. We just record me and Stephen Hackett recorded a, a, a what I thought was a really good episode of the Fire Twelve podcast yesterday. So I tweeted about it because I think that you know I want people to go and listen to that episode because I was proud of it. But I don't want to fill people's timelines of me just retweeting my own stuff all the time. You know, every show, every day that they're released. I, you know, if people want to see that, there's an account for that. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's the same thing. Like when you, when you work as a reporter, you get press releases instant all the time and you kind of, it becomes noise. You don't even see it after a while. But when people, you know, say, Hey, this thing is going to be really interesting to you. Then you tend to pay it more attention. And that's sort of what I feel like when I follow actual content creators on Twitter, as opposed to just streams. Yeah. And as I said, the, the context is, is, is very, very useful. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk about sources. We, we mentioned them a, a little earlier in the show. 
So the sources that you you know that you've had that you, that you have wherever wherever they may come from, um, I assume that you consider at least some of them to be fairly reliable. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting with Apple in particular because the w- the way the company works is highly dynamic. So. E- you can have a story that you know is true and that can change over the course of time. So it becomes not a question of just whether something is right and wrong, but whether it's going to be persistent enough that it's worth reporting or it's so dynamic that it's going to change and it's not going to be, it's not going to be correct within even a short period of time anymore. Uh, so it's, it's, it's tricky. And a lot of times I just, I don't publish things and then I see like in the next day it's in the wall street journal or it's on uh, Daring Fireball or Nine to Five Mac, and sometimes I do publish them, and you know, a, a month later it's something different. So it's it it involves a lot of it's the most stressful thing that I do. It involves a lot of tightrope walking for me. You, you touched on something interesting that that I, I must probe you about now. So let's say that you get a, a tip, and it's quite a hot tip, and seems so much that you don't consider it. It seems too good to be true. Yeah, and then you see it the next day in the Wall Street Journal, and, and you know. It goes crazy and everybody's linking to it. Do you kick yourself a little bit when you see that? I, I mean, sometimes it's, I generally, I generally don't get a lot of, well, I get a lot of cold tips. I get a lot of tips from people I don't know, but I don't put high value in them unless I already have an idea about the story. Uh, just because it's, it's the amount of people who have access to real information is finite. And I, there's always a chance you'll get a news source, but usually it's going to fall within the realm of stuff that you're, that either makes sense or you're already aware of. So it's a good pre-filter. So I don't, I don't, get a lot of good new tips from cold sources, uh, which I guess is lucky because y- y- it's, hard to, it's hard to really weigh those properly. And I usually just wait and I'd rather, be, I'd rather not publish than be wrong about something like that. But when it's something that I'm already aware of and makes a lot of sense, then it's, it's always a, a judgment call. Do you, like, do you ever contact these people to corroborate things or, do you just, or are you just contacted? Uh, it, I check a lot of things. I try to check. I mean, I, I can't say that I'm, you know, I think the Wall Street Journal won't publish without at least two sources. Uh, and for me, it really depends on who the sources are. After a lot of time, you start to know people and know where they are and whether they're in a position to know something or not know something uh, and their track record with you. And you can sort of judge based on that how reliable the information is. Uh, but if it's for stuff that I that I'm not aware of already, or for people I don't know as well, then I'll absolutely check as much as I can before I go forward with it. I mean, but again, what, it goes back to reader confidence. I don't want to. Sure. I don't want to waste that. Exactly, exactly. And you don't want to have egg on your face either, do you? You know. No, I mean, we are. I, we don't publish a lot of original rumors. Like when a rumor comes out, I will look at it and try to offer analysis of it. And if I have heard something on my own about it and haven't published, I'll add to it. But. I'm usually really, really confident before I'll put up our own sort of original story about something like that. I think you you guys tend to have pretty good sources um, when it comes to dates of announcements and what's likely to be announced. I think that's where you guys really come in, really shine. Yeah, we've gotten really good information about that. Uh, I mean, sometimes it's changed. Like we we heard the date of the iPhone announcement and heard that the iPad mini would be announced at the same time. And ultimately, that was a month later. Yeah. And I don't know if it was just wrong or if over the – because we, we, we reported that, I think, two months before the announcement. We did that in July, and the announcement was September. And between July and September is an awful lot of room to, to adjust plans. So sometimes that happens. Um, but with stuff like that, yeah, I mean, if, if we, we have a high level of confidence in that, we absolutely share it. I think it's it's pretty much agreed that something funky happened there anyway. Like it just it was a weird that Apple did it really a really weird 
order of announcing things with those two announcements? Well, my understanding was they had the iPhones, the iPods, the Macs, and the iPads, and it was just a question of whether they were going to kind of shock and awe by doing everything at once or whether they were going to do iPhones and iPads and then Macs in a separate event or, or just how they were going to combine everything together and ultimately it worked out that way. I can only imagine as a reporter you are very thankful that they split it in. <laughs> they split it a bit, right? Yeah, I mean it was still an insane amount of product to put out in a short period of time um, for good or for ill and uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can keep up that kind of pace going forward. So I said tip comes in. And it seems totally off the wall to you. Let's say Apple are releasing a standalone games console. Yeah. And it's come from one of your good sources. And you, you're not sure about it, but you check it. And, and you're, you're confident from what people are saying to you that it's accurate. But it doesn't sit right with you. You have a gut feeling that you don't think it's right. What do you do in that situation? So it's past all of your usual checks, except your own feeling about it. I usually would rather wait than... than- then knowingly present something I'm not certain about. Uh, the the closest to that I think was the new dock connector, which we heard about like in February of last year. Yeah, and only came out in September. Uh, and there were some rumors, but the the rumors that Apple was looking at alternate charging solutions, and some people thought that was going to be wireless charging. It was, it was nothing definite. And then we heard that, and I checked it, and it, it sounded like it was real. And it, but at the same time, you know, kind of insane. They had the dock forever. Why would they change it? And the more I found out the reasons why, it just it started to make logical sense that they would do it. And that's the sort of thing, like Apple putting out a game console, people telling me that they're doing it wouldn't be enough. I'd want to understand the reasons for it. Like the iPad mini, we heard about that really early on as well. And the reasons I was given for why Apple would do it made an enormous amount of sense. And that's what encouraged me to publish it, not just that people kept saying it was true. I mean, I I personally have, I don't have any sources, but whenever I I read posts, you know, as as usual, make my opinions on them. I'm historically terrible for my predictions. Um, And I've sort of flat out said, they're not going to do a new connector. No, they won't do it, won't do it. Because like you, I couldn't even, right up until they announced it, couldn't see why they would do it. And, you know, when, when you hold an iPhone 5 in your hand or an iPad mini, you can see why because of the size yeah. of it. But it was like I couldn't understand why that would happen. So, yeah, I can totally sympathize with that. If it doesn't meet your internal you know, gut check, you can either – I mean, it's best to not post it, right? I mean, some people yeah. might post it and say, oh, I'm not sure about this. But then that kind of looks weird. Like, why are you even reporting on them? Um, that's one of the things that I've, I've discussed this with, with uh, Jim from, from The Loop and we discussed it with Leo Laporte on MacBreak too is uh, – there's there's a, a fine line between encouraging garbage and providing a surface uh, sorry a service to your readership. So if if a big rumor is out there and it's an insane rumor, uh, are, should you ignore it because you don't want to give it attention and reinforce that business model and encourage people to come up with more insane rumors, or is your job to explain why it's an insane ru- uh, rumor so that your audience isn't confused by it? And I. Th- for me, that's always a judgment call and always a difficult one, um, to, whether to ignore something or to investigate it. Because as well, you know, you have to think about the person reading the headline only. Yeah, and absolutely. Because that still is damaging, right? They might see, oh, I more said that there was going to be a games console, you know, because you're saying it in the he- you mentioned it in the headline, but then in the piece you're saying you've heard this, but you're not sure about it. Look, but that person still has that impression of you because you've you've put it in the headline. Well, like yesterday was a good example because there, 
there were stories going around about Apple testing iOS 7 and about an iPhone 6, 1. And some people chose to make the headline, Apple testing iPhone 6, uh, which to me is not a good headline for that story. Uh, and we, I just chose to cover it because that is something that our readers are incredibly interested about. It affects their purchasing decisions and their confidence moving forward in the platform. Um, and I think the way you handle that is to say, look, Apple's been working on iOS 7 since you know before they launched iOS 6, and it's been in our server logs for this long. And of course, Apple is going to release an iPhone next year the same way they've released an iPhone every year for the last five years. And it's going to be iPhone 6, 1. And whether that's an iPhone 5S or an iPhone 6 is a marketing decision. But it's just the next iPhone. Your uh, headline, shocker, <laughs> exclamation mark. Apple is working on iOS, sorry, shocker, comma, Apple is working on iOS 7 and the next iPhone, exclamation mark. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I mean, you can see that it's it's kind of thing like, yes, we know that it's happening. When You know, you're going to see this everywhere. This, but yes, this is our, yeah. our take on it. I don't want to be a jerk and say that people shouldn't report on that because I think it's abs- – I just think it's the way that you report on it. I don't think that it's news that Apple is doing this, but I do believe it's a signpost that kind of instills confidence, says, yes, things are working the way they're working. Uh, we, we're seeing this just like we expect us to get this, just like we saw this last year, just like we'll see it next year. So if you're looking for those signposts to the next iPhone, here is the, the one to scratch off your list today. And, you know, you even, as you say, you go in to explain, you've got the 6.1, but it doesn't mean it's the iPhone 6. And you break down, like, the 4S as the 4.1, and, and it's good. I mean, you're giving background to it, and you're actually, people coming out of reading that story are going to get more than just um, Apple is working on uh, iPhone 6 and then in the body developing, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, that's that's different. It's, it's a different type of, of reporting, I guess. And I don't want to claim any soapboxes because I screw up with phenomenal regularity and I get things wrong all the time and other journalists will point them out to me. And my, my only goal at that point is to fix them. I think like you, 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 everyone will make mistakes. So just the, the thing you look for is whether they're willing to fix them, how quickly and how well. Yeah. And that's, that's important. And you being, being uh, open and honest with that. Not- yeah. I mean, as much as like as when the iPad event ended up being in October, I, got that wrong so we have to say look this is either it's we got this wrong or something has changed and this is what the reality is and you have to go forward with it you know maybe not um pulling a cnet and just uh deleting everything where the guy is talking about um pirating applications you've seen that post right yeah i mean i chose i choose not to cover um (laughs) i mean we've written about piracy as a concept but we've chosen not to write about the tools uh or the methods for piracy just because I, I don't know what value that adds. And, and I understand that intelligent people and honest people and ethical people can disagree about this. And I don't believe that my decisions apply to every site or every person. But for me personally, I, I would rather write the article that points out the damage that it causes and not really the tools that are used to inflict it. Yes, yeah, so interesting. That's an interesting piece for sure. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes for people that are not sure what I'm... Well, that's the same thing with those security things. Some people publish security because they think it prompts uh, companies to fix it faster and other people inform the companies because they don't want people to exploit them in the meantime. And I don't think there's any right or wrong answer to that. You've just got to apply the, your best judgment at the time. Depends what you believe in, I guess. So that's, we're mentioning uh, apps and stuff here. So I assume that you, uh, you beta test quite a lot of applications. Yes. Do, is this something that you enjoy doing? 
Uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of developers and apps, and I think that's a lot of the value of the platform can be found in not only the apps for it, but the passion in the developers that make it. So when there's a really good developer working on a really good app, uh, I really enjoy being part of that process. I'm not, I'm not the best beta tester in the world because I don't. I, I, I've worked in QA before, and I'm not especially good at it because I'm not good at just sitting there and robotically hitting every button and everything and scrolling until it crashes. I'm more of a general purpose uh, user. Um, so I, I just like to, I like to get a look at how the app develops, understand the story behind it, and then be able to report on it with better context eventually. I'm sure like a, a lot of the reason why you would have um, a beta is not necessarily for the testing as much as it is people want you to write about um, their app, right? I assume that's why you probably get quite a lot of beta keys and stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, some people would like to have reviews available when the app hits the App Store. And because of a variety of issues around Apple and the way they handle the App Store that we've all talked about for years, there's very few ways to have that happen. And one of them is to include reporters in the beta process. Uh, which means they lose slots that could go to testers, but they gain um, they they gain the ability to have better marketing for their app at the most critical time for that app. Mm-hmm. Do you run a lot of betas on a daily basis? Yeah, um, which is interesting because sometimes it's it's easy to run a beta alongside a launch app, and sometimes it isn't. And especially for games and things that involve Game Center, if you have a beta, it kind of kills Game Center for real games so i have the betas on one device and the real games on <laughs> other devices it's it's not clean but it's it's a lot of fun yeah i mean I, I, you're running sort of test software so i guess i would assume you probably run them on your main devices as well so that you have some apps that will be unstable but it's part of your daily daily sort of use yeah, absolutely and then you know you you get insight into cuz developers aren't rep- I, I've had the good fortune of working on mark in marketing and working in press, which are basically two sides of the same coin. But not everyone who's a developer has worked in marketing or in media relations, and they don't always remember when they do updates or tell you or something. And when you see a new beta come in, you you kind of understand that they're working on something, and these are the features, and you should prepare yourself to be writing about this kind of thing. Indeed. So I've got a couple of sort of miscellaneous questions before we wrap up today. Um, so one comes from uh, Chris Humphreys underscore. And uh, Chris wants to know, what are your thoughts on mobile apps being cross-platform? Do you choose, like, so for example, you you want to choose a task management application, you see one for the iPhone, but it doesn't have an iPad um, counterpart. Do you Do you make a choice there? Like, would you go with the one that has the cross-platform compatibility? Uh, it sounds silly, but it's sort of like one of those fight games or one of those role-playing games where you have all these characteristics for your character, and each one of those you have to weigh as part of the overall equation. So cross, cross-platform compatibility is one power bar, and interface is another power bar, and the ability to import and export data maybe is another power bar. And then you kind of – no app is ever perfect. It's just because they're opinionated, and they're going to go towards whatever the designer and developer really wanted for that app. So you try to find the one that best suits your needs and i've used apps that are just have phenomenal interfaces over crap cross-platform apps because at the end of the day it was such a good interface that it outweighed that problem for me i think the more something is 
closer to a utility or a commodity, the more important cross-platform is. Like email should always work cross-platform. And maybe you want your book some, or something cross-platform. But if it's just something that you use for enjoyment or for fun, then I think having specific native stuff is, is a more important aspect. One last question. Sure. What apps do you have in the dock of your iPhone? What are your four or more apps that you have there? I am terrible for this question because I reinstall phones a lot. And it, <laughs> over the years, I've gotten to the point where I just almost everything I have is default unless I specifically have to change it. And then as soon as I reinstall, it goes back to being default anyway. So my home screen of almost every device is exactly the way it is when I get it out of the box. Wow. And I'm just used to putting everything else on the second screen. Oh, wow. So you are as, as Apple intended. Yeah, I mean, it's just... It, it becomes easier if I mean if I have to go through it. It's it's not an easy process yet to rearrange everything, and there's no iCloud storage. Say restore my home screen layout. If there was, I would be much less risk averse. I would just you know put things everywhere I want it, save that, and every time I reloaded my device, press that button and have it auto magically restored. But because I can't do that, and I want to be able to find stuff based a little bit on muscle memory, I just leave the default setup, and then I I when I install apps, they automatically go within a radius because there's that many apps that I install and I know where they are. So to clarify that, you're not you're not restoring from iCloud backup every time, are you? Uh, historically for me, it's things work better when I do clean installs, especially now I'm I'm using I I'm using iOS 6.1 beta and just restoring from iCloud often leads to poor battery life and stuff like that, especially with betas. So I've been doing I did a clean install for 6.1 and if I if I have to write a how-to on how to use iCloud, for example, I've got to nuke the device and do it again. Um, and it, it just it seems crufty over time if I just if I rely on that too much. People really hate it when I say these sorts of things, but Android does that. <laughs> like it, it it you don't back it up in the same way, but it remembers your positioning of things and installs things even when you do it clean so it's not it's not the way that apple does it where it downloads like an an updated copy it just remembers where you put things i mean yeah i've been using a nexus 4 for the last week and a half oh you have interesting and and if we could just somehow mesh those because they both they both annoy me on on a lot of levels like (laughs) i don't understand why android well i understand i understand exactly why five years later android still scrolls worse than the first iphone and as a keyboard just as laggy as ios 4 i understand on an intellectual level but as a user it's like scratching scratching your nails on a chalkboard to me and the same token i don't understand why i I don't have the flexibility, the compatibility, the intents, and all the other stuff on Android that are so convenient, and we mm-hmm. still don't have those on iOS. Slight aside then, though, because you've mentioned it. I've been trying to get my hands on a Nexus 4 for a while, but they're just ridiculously sold out here. But do you find that the most recent version of Android is better for you? I mean, I've found that Jelly Bean is, is a lot more responsive. Yes and no. I think, I mean, I started off with a G1 when they first came yeah. out, and then I had a Nexus 1 for a while, uh, and then a Nexus 7. So I've, I've been using Android over the years. And I think just because of the way the platforms were built, uh, and I know Project Butter is supposed to help, Android was never intended to be the kind of phone that it is today. And fixing interface for them has always been bolt on. And it's never going to work until they actually stop and rewrite the base levels of the OS to prioritize interface. And with the same token, when the iPhone was created, it was never intended to be a multi-app machine. And Apple has bolted on fast app switching and, and multitasking APIs and you know, notification center. And it's never going to be as good as Android because it, until they go back and re-architect with that stuff. And I think that's just the reality that users are stuck with now. 
That's really interesting. A really interesting way of looking at it. Actually, the the pitfalls of both are because of the way that they were designed. Yeah, I, I think that's why we have them the way we have them today. It'll be interesting to see how that changes. Who knows? Maybe Ubuntu is going to save us all. <laughs> the third major platform. <laughs> Fourth, fifth. How many major platforms do we have now? Oh, uh, Rim's going to relaunch in a couple of weeks. We'll see. Do you know I've seen one of those phones? I've I've had a hands-on with ten. Like, I work for a very large multinational. So Black uh, Rim came in and um, they had the demo devices with uh, BlackBerry 10 on them. This was a couple of months ago. It looks pretty cool. Yeah, uh, uh, Kevin Mitchellick, who runs CrackBerry and runs our network now, is not cutting his hair until it launches. So he's and he's had all the developer alpha beta, whatever comes after beta gammas, uh, whatever they are. Uh, so yeah, he's been showing it to me all the time, and I like a lot. Of, I like the gesture-driven interface. I like a lot of their ideas. I just don't know. I mean, Microsoft is having trouble getting into this market. It's going to be interesting to see. They're, they're really trying to. It, it's it pains me to see them trying to beat the bring your own device culture people that yeah. don't know what this is it's the idea that these days people want to bring their own and just use their own smartphones and not the company given blackberry and they're trying to mesh it into to one interface so you can have one part of the blackberry that's the work device and then one part which is your personal device so yeah. it, it's, it's kind of painful in a way to see them trying to beat that but I, i'm very intrigued to see where they go with it massive corporations really do cling on to them. Yeah, and I like the fact that we have choice and variety, and I think that if there's – I like there are good ideas and people rethinking interfaces and not doing the same thing all the time. I love gadgets. I, I happen to use Apple now because they best fit my needs, but I always hope that – I remember seeing the WebOS for the first time at CES, and, and that was the first time that something really impressed me after the iPhone, and I keep wanting that next thing. I don't like the idea that Android has become almost like the windows of smartphones and that everyone's going to build off of Android because I want that experience again. I want Macworld 2007. I want CES 2009. I want to be wowed again. Indeed. So – Rene, thank you very much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you? Oh, uh, you can find me at Rene Ritchie on Twitter or app.net, and you can find me at imore.com. Excellent stuff. And uh, I am on Twitter and app.net too. I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Next week, we're going to be joined by Gina Trapani on the show, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, it be Gina's first time on Command Space as well, so that's going to be a, a great episode. We've, uh, January's going to be a good month. We've got some good guests for you, so make sure you stay tuned. Thank you very much for listening to episode 23 of Command Space. Once again, have a happy new year to you all, and I'll speak to you, and you will hear from me. I will speak to you next week. Bye-bye.